Well, it is good to remember Palm Sunday, and I appreciated the verses Joshua read as we um, remember that, that Sunday before the crucifixion and the resurrection when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey being proclaimed as king. And what's always interesting to me is that he knew the end of the story, or he knew the next step of the story, and, and he knew that his kingship was about his death and victory over sin rather than victory over political powers. And he still entered the city. And he still chose to obey God the Father and come into a city where he would be tortured and killed. What an incredible act of obedience. And a step of obeying God the Father. This morning as we come to Joshua, we come to a story of the people having to decide whether or not to take a step of faith having to decide whether or not to obey God Almighty that we sang about. And I wanted to start with a question. Sometimes we do this. Why is it hard for us to take steps of faith for God? Maybe risky steps of faith for God. Why is that hard? Fear, okay? Fear of what? Uncertainty, because we don't know how it's going to end, right? How many of you like to know how something ends before you start? Like to know the whole process, okay? You are control freaks. Uh, and, and my hand is right up there with you, so don't think I'm criticizing it. We like to know how things turn out, right? And we like to, to have it all planned out before we take that first step because in our mind, we're ensuring success and we're ensuring that I don't fail. Why else is it hard to take big steps of faith for God? Is this something God wants me to do or is this something I want to do? Okay, great, great point. And something we actually should be asking every step of the way. And as we talk today, I'll jump ahead in part of my introduction, uh, we're talking about the children of Israel crossing the Jordan. And as we talk about it, I don't want this to be a story that says, okay, pick whatever Jordan rivers are in your life that you want to see split and then force God to do that. That's not what the story is about. Because it's about that question, am I following God's leading or am I following my leading? And so we'll, we'll explore that a little bit this morning. Not in entirety, but out of the story this morning. Good question. Why else? We'd rather do what we want to do ourselves. Thank you for your honesty. How many of us are in that boat sometimes? Every hand. I like to do what I like to do. Don't inconvenience me with what God wants me to do and what might be way out of my comfort zone. Right? Maybe it's just me. But I struggle with that sometimes. (laughs) There are all kinds of reasons why we struggle to take steps of faith for God. And and we we struggle with, okay, how do I know whether it's God or or me? How do I get beyond myself? And, And how do I overcome the fear of not knowing how everything turns out? This morning as we come to Joshua chapter 3, I would imagine the children of Israel felt many of those things. As they were about to enter the land, and we've been sort of waiting on the border, and today marks the story where they enter the land. This is the day that they have been waiting for for 40 years. More than that, if you go back to the promise to Abraham. But this is the day. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. And as we look at it, we want to explore how do we take steps of faith for God? 
how do we make sure that we are trying to follow God and not our own leading? How do we become part of what God is doing? And as you're turning to Joshua 3, I, I, I start with just a simple question. Is God still Almighty? Is God still wanting to work through His people to accomplish His purposes? That sets the foundation for the story we want to read today. This isn't just about them. It's about how God works with His people to accomplish His purposes. So in Joshua chapter 3, we're going to divide it up into three sections. In most of your Bibles, it's divided into three paragraphs. And and we're going to see how the, the first paragraph is about preparation The second paragraph is about encouragement and and understanding who God is. And the third paragraph, that's about action. And that's about actually doing it. And so we're going to use those as our points and just follow the text and the structure of the text. But the first point in verses 1-6 through that we want to see is we need to be prepared to see God work. Be prepared to see God work. And in these verses, God prepares His people for what He's about to do. And we prepare for a lot of things, right? If you go to get your driver's license, do you do, do any preparation ahead of time? Lord willing. Please. You, 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 you learn how to drive. Someone teaches you how to drive. You read the manual. Because you don't want your first time behind the wheel to be when the, the, the tester is sitting next to you. You will fail. And so we prepare for a lot of things in life. God in the first six verses, is preparing His people. He's been preparing them for a long time, but very specifically for what He wants to do and how He wants to accomplish His work. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Whenever you see names of cities, we get to go to maps. And so this is just a good excuse. Don, I hope I have it on. And this is a familiar map that we're going to use throughout the, the series on Joshua. And you can almost read it. There we go. There's Jericho. Okay, so this is where we're heading. The children of Israel are, are camped over here at Shatim, which is about seven miles away from the Jordan River. Okay? And so they're over here. They had already defeated this area, the kings of this area. And what we see in verse 1 is they're moving to the Jordan. And they're about to enter Jericho, and they move directly toward Jericho. What's interesting is this probably was not the best place to cross the Jordan. In fact, from last week's text with the spies, many of the scholars feel that probably three, four miles north, there were some fords where it was a lot shallower, a much easier place to cross. Um, and, And what we're going to see when we look at where the waters backed up up here at Adam was the normal crossing place. And so this wasn't the normal crossing place, and God brings them to the Jordan. They came to the Jordan, He and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now to really understand what's going on, we have to understand a little bit about the Jordan. And the author here, and it's really interesting to to just enjoy the passage, the author in each of these three sections gives us a little more information in each one. Have you ever watched a movie where like a character is introduced and one little piece of information, you're like, what's going on? And then later a little more is revealed, and later a little more is revealed. That's what's going on here, and so we're going to see some things repeated as more and more information about the story is revealed, and it's building anticipation. But we're going to skip ahead. 
And so turn, look at verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now there's a, a parenthesis there. Now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the time of the harvest. Just a little statement. And the author there inserts it at the end because he's been building up. And at the end he goes, oh, by the way, this is really hard. And to understand what's going on, how many of you have been to, to Israel? Some of you have been to Israel. Jordan, how big was the Jordan? You can almost jump over it at times. Maybe half the sanctuary width. Okay, in, in most places. The reason being, in the last 70, 80 years, they have taken a lot of the tributaries and dammed them off and used them for irrigation. It's a dry, arid place. And so they have greatly restricted the amount of water coming into the Jordan. And so if you were to go today and look at the Jordan and read this story, you'd be like, that's not even a miracle. We waded across the Jordan on one of our trips. So... We have to understand that what it is today is not what it was. In fact, at the time when all the water was coming in, it was common for the Jordan to be about 100 feet wide. Okay, and, and just to give us a frame of reference, if you look at the length of the sanctuary, this is about 65 feet. So take another half of this, and that would be the width of the Jordan at normal stage. And it would be up to 10, 15 feet deep in the middle. Enough to where you're not waiting. If you take your little kids through there, they drown in the middle. And, and, it's, it, and it's rushing, and so that, that's a little bit of the setting. Now, what we know from that verse is what time of the year was it? It was harvest time, right after the rains, and so this is flood season. It snows up at Mount Hermon in the north. All that water comes into the Sea of Galilee. Comes down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. And it actually narrows there. And so the water is rushing, and in flood season, the Jordan would, would get anywhere from 600 yards to a mile wide. Does that sound a little bigger? And as it expands on its banks in flood season, it's coming up through brush, through thickets, through areas that are hard to cross. And so the children of Israel come to the Jordan. Yes, this is the day we're going to cross. And they get there and it's flood season. And they come to an impassable obstacle. Thanks, Joshua. Great leadership. Let me show some pictures of 1935 before a lot of the tributaries to the Jordan were, were being used for, um, for irrigation. This is um, out of the Library of Congress, a picture right around the area where the children of Israel would have been crossing in, in 1935. Can you see all this is water? It's a little hard to see. It's a black and white off one of the plates that they had. Um, all that is water. Here's another of a flood. All this is water. There's a bridge there. You can see the bridge ends there and there, and water just continues. And so that's an example of just how wide flood season can be. And you have an entire nation that needs to get across this river. So that help us understand a little bit the, the, the scope of what we're talking about here? So verse 1, and Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And now we see how God begins to prepare the people. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, 
Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. No, not many did there. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. I love that verse. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And here we have stage one of the instructions, the preparation um, instructions. And there's three, three areas of preparation that we want to highlight this morning. The first out of verse 4, they were to cultivate awe and reverence for God. They were to cultivate awe and reverence for God. And as we think through, how do I know if I'm following God or myself? These areas of preparation are, are areas of our attitude and our heart to help us make sure we are seeking after God and not self. So the first step is they were to cultivate awe and reverence for God. In verse 4, you see that yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Anyone know about how long that would be? little over a half a mile. little over a, a half a mile here. Cubit is about 18 inches, so this is about 1,000 yards. And, and the idea was the Ark of the Covenant was representative of the presence of God. This was no light thing. This wasn't just a box that they carried in front of them and hoped for success. This represented Yahweh's presence. And it was to be treated holy. And it was to be treated reverently. We know when they built it that so many instructions were given and it had rings on it so you could carry it with poles because if you touched it, you died. In Exodus 25-22, as, as God is giving instructions for, for building this, at the end of the instructions, He says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And on the top were these two cherubim and, and the mercy seat. And that was where the presence of God spoke to His people. What an awesome thing. And so the ark represented the very presence of God. And because of that, and because God is holy, and because we are to be in awe of Him and to fear the Lord our God, we have instructions like stay a half mile away. Stay a half mile away. The priests are carrying it. Now we know that the Levites um, were, were typically the ones that carried it and the priests were a special class of Levites. Didn't always carry the ark, but this was an important event. So the priests themselves carried the ark. There's a sacredness to it. An awesomeness of God's glory. In fact, at the beginning of, of verse 4 there, as he's saying, yet there shall be a distance between you and it. Do not come near it. The wording there is, is a, a little bit stronger than in English. It's be very sure to keep back. Be very sure. And so we see that God is the one leading the way. And the people are to have a fear and a respect and an awe for God. I think of Proverbs 9.10 as well as other Proverbs. But in Proverbs 9.10 we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
We see that in Proverbs 1 as well. And the fear of the Lord being an awe and a respect and some fear. I think so many times we try to, to take the fear out of it. No, when we realize that God is holy, almighty, and righteous, there's fear there too. But it's a fear that comes out of an incredible awe. And in Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do you know wisdom? How do you know what God wants you to do? It starts with the fear of the Lord. And that verse goes on to say, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we start in verse 4, and God starts with His instructions to the people to treat His dwelling place, to treat His presence as holy. If I can just step, step out of the story for a moment. I really believe church, our church in America struggles with an awe and reverence for God. Because we have focused so much on God as my friend. And God is my best friend, or I, I guess BFF, does that, yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> and we have forgotten that God is God Almighty, seated on His throne, and we are to have awe and reverence for Him. And there's a balance between the two. And, and that's the struggle is so many times the church has, has gone to this familiarity with God that we've lost a respect and an awe of God. And other churches have gone so much to a respect and awe for God that we've forgotten that it's a personal relationship. It's both at the same time. But we are to never lose that awe and respect for God. Never. I think even of simple phrases... Like, oh my God. And that gets under my skin like none other. Because it is losing the awe and respect for God. We are not to treat His name that way. They had to stay a half mile away from the ark. What can we do to show that same awe and reverence for God? When we begin to have that fear of God, that's the first step to understanding what does God want me to do versus what do I want to do. That was part of their instructions. Part of the reason for that as well was so people could see where the ark was going. If a few people were close, it would be hard to see where it was going. But they were to follow the ark. And that comes to our second point. They were instructed to keep their eyes open for God's leading. They were instructed to keep their eyes open to God's leading. Look at verses 3 and 4. And commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. The instructions were pretty simple. Look for the ark. Go where it goes. Why? Because the ark represented the presence of God. And so this was saying, follow God where He's leading. But look for it. Open your eyes for it. Verse 4, continue that same thing. Um, there shall be a distance, and we talked about that, but then at the end, do not come near, near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. If we're following God's leading, He's going to take us places we've never been. He's going to take us to places that we don't know the results. We don't know how it's going to work out. And His, struct his instruction is, see where I'm going and follow me. They were instructed to keep their eyes open for God's leading. They have to see it. 
Sometimes my kids will say, after we've given an instruction, well, we didn't hear you. And one of the things in our house, that is not an excuse. Then they should have been listening for us. Now, obviously, if we're in the next room and we whisper, that's, that's a whole different thing. But parents, you know what I'm talking about. Because you can say it in the same tone of voice, would you like ice cream, and three of them are there. <laughs> and so, in our house, that's not an excuse, because what we're trying to say is you should be listening for mom and dad. You should hear our voice above all others and follow it. Well, church, we should be hearing God's voice above all others and following it. We should be looking for where he is leading. And that takes effort. It takes work. It takes daily. A simple way to do this is daily asking the question, what does God want me to do for him today? What does God want me to do for Him today? It means when you walk in to on Sunday morning, who does God want me to pray for today? Who does God want me to minister to today? When you go to work, who does God want me to be a witness for Him to, today? And we should always be a witness for, for Him, but in a way that, that says, okay, in a special way, how does God want to use me today? And what we're beginning to do is train our minds and train our eyes to look for what God is doing. See, we miss it because we don't look. We can say we're open to being used by God, but are we actively trying to find out where God is leading? Another thing that's interesting about 3 and 4, where were they to be in relationship to the ark? They were to be behind it. Now, once they cross, the ark is in the middle, it, it changes a little bit, but at this point, they're to follow the ark because the ark is representing God as the commander-in-chief going before his army. And sometimes we get ahead of God. Sometimes in his timing, he's saying, wait on me. Wait on me. I know, I know you're a planner and you want to go forward. Wait on me. Don't get ahead of me. And so we ask, is this what God wants me to do? Children of Israel, even after they, they were told they would spend 40 years in the, the wilderness, they tried to go into the promised land at one point without God. And it ended in disaster. We need to keep our eyes open for God's leading. And so the instruction was look to the ark and follow it. Don't look at whether the river is possible to pass. The ark makes all things possible. The presence of God makes all things possible. Finally, in verse 5, the third thing in preparation, they were to expectantly purify themselves. They were to expectantly purify themselves. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate for yourselves. And that word is the idea of cleanse yourself or cleanse yourself to, um, to make yourself holy. It's sometimes represented to their ritual cleansing where they would wash their clothes and wash themselves to be, to be pure before God. Consecrate for yourselves or consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And what we see in that verse is their attitude was vital and it was connected to God's work. He says, get ready. Get ready. Consecrate yourselves because God's going to do something incredible tomorrow. The two halves of, of this instruction are one, make yourself holy. Purify yourself. Which means continual confession. It means before we're ready to do anything for God, before we're ready to even know what His will is, we better make sure we're right with God. 
And I would hope that that becomes an essential part of our daily lives. Part of our walk with God is to be confessing areas where we've fallen. Every one of us falls. And it can be easy to say, well, Jesus paid for that on the cross, and He did. And forget to confess daily and to repent before God Almighty and make sure our heart is right with Him. So that's the first thing that, that, uh, of, this, of this section. Prepare yourselves is to consecrate yourselves. The second part is an expectation of God's work. Because tomorrow, God will do wonders or do miracles before you. And so when we come to say, how do I follow God? I believe this is the attitude that God wants us to come with to to make ourselves holy, to purify ourselves, and then to say, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see how He's going to work. Because where's the focus with, with that attitude? The focus is on Him and His work and His glory. We are simply tools in His hand. Obedient tools. Psalm 77, 13 and 14, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known Your might among the peoples. The words of the psalmist still are true today. He is still the God who works wonders. He is still the God that will make known His might among the peoples. It's interesting as you look at some of the parallels of this passage and Joshua starting out leading the the people into the land with Moses starting to lead the people out. At Mount Sinai, when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, the covenant of God with His people. Do you remember what, what was told to the people? In Exodus 19, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Same thing. They're about to meet God. They're about to see what He's doing. Consecrate yourselves and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And then you see the awe and respect. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And God here is giving Joshua a Moses moment. And He's giving the people a Moses slash Joshua moment to understand Joshua's leadership. But it came down to being prepared and consecrating themselves. Same is true today. In James 5, when, when, when James is talking about prayer, he says, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The sanctified man, the consecrated man has prayers that God hears and and, and listens to and answers. God says, be prepared to see My work to His people. They were to cultivate an awe and reverence for God. They were instructed to keep their eyes open for God's leading. And they were to purify themselves expectantly being prepared for God to still be the God of wonders we sang about. For God to do wonders. The next section, verses 7-13, through 13, they were to be confident in God. Be confident in God. And this deals with the fear factor. And one of the reasons that you said we don't follow God was fear. The first one has to do with following God and making sure our hearts are right with God. The second has to do with, well, what if this doesn't work? 
And so Joshua in the second section, some people say it's stage two of the instructions, says be confident in God. He knows what He's doing. And he gives us several areas to be confident again. And through this section, Joshua is assuring them of God's presence and greatness and ability. So important as they're about to cross and enter the land for them to know that God is God. And He is with them. It's a reorienting of our thinking. Who do we put confidence in? Myself? My abilities, which means I want to see all the steps and all the doors so I know it will work. Or is my confidence in God Almighty to where I only have to see the next step? I'm haunted by the question, do I even need God in what I do? Because so many times, I don't. I do, but I don't. Does that make sense? The truth is I do, but in my heart, I've forgotten that. And so starting at verse 7, Joshua reminds the people to be confident that his plans are much greater than ours. Be confident that his plans are much greater than ours. The Lord said to Joshua in verse 7, Today I will begin, so it's starting something great, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God's not done here. He's starting a work. But what's interesting here is God's purpose isn't just to get them across a little river. God is going to use this and He has them at that place at that time. One of His reasons is to show the people that Joshua is their leader that God has put a stamp of approval on. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. God is always doing more than we can see. His plans are always greater than our plans. If I'm Joshua, my goal is just to get the people across the water. And God is doing something that's going to help them for the whole conquest. Think as well, if you're you're in the walls of Jericho, and remember last week Rahab already told them the people are melting because we saw it. We know that God took the Red Sea and allowed them to cross all the way to the recent battles. Imagine being on the wall of Jericho where you could see them and the dust of the people are coming to the Jordan. And then imagine the next day you look out and they're across the Jordan. An impassable river. Talk about melting away. And so God is using this to the people of the land. He's using this to put His stamp of approval on Joshua's leadership. His ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55.9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so many times we come to following God and following His lead and we we think that it's about us. And we think that it's about my plan and how I want God to work. And sometimes it's not about us at all. Usually, it's not about us at all. It's about what God is trying to accomplish in the bigger scheme of things. This wasn't just about getting the people across the river. It was about God accomplishing so much more than that. Be confident that His plans are greater than yours. His plans are better than yours. Even when you don't understand why you're at an uncrossable place. His plans are better than yours. 
Second area in verse 7 through 10, be confident in his presence. Be confident in his presence. At the end of verse 7, so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And God is reassuring Joshua of his presence. We go on, and as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. You guys catch that? At that point, I'd be like, wait, 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 wait. I misheard you. God, could you repeat that instruction? No, no, no. The priests carrying the ark are supposed to go walk into the Jordan. Carrying this, this, this item that represents the presence of God that if they slip and fall and touch it, they die. Go ahead and step into the raging torrent. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. And those are words about the presence of God. He is still alive. He is not dead like all of the idols of the land. He is among you. He is with you. And that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And any other rights you have. But it's a statement, part of the statement here is that God is with you. Be confident of that as we step forward in God's plans. And see the last area of confidence. Be confident in His greatness and power. The same verse. He is giving them a description of all the peoples of the land and saying, I've got it covered. I've got it taken care of. I will drive them out. Be confident in God. He knows what He's doing. We go on, verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. And it's a statement of God's supremacy. Behold, the ark of the covenant, His presence of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you. It's a reminder Look at the ark. Know God is with you, but know that He is God. Know His greatness and power. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. That's all He says about that. In verse chapter 4, we're going to find out what their instructions are. But verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. A statement of God's power and His greatness and that He knows what He's doing. It's so interesting. Again, this matches some of the wording from the Red Sea and when God parted the Red Sea. When He says those stood up in a heap. Understanding His greatness and power is essential to being able to move forward in following His leading. Because if one of the problems, one of the fear issues of stepping out in faith is what if God really doesn't have it handled? Can I trust God is the root issue there. Ephesians 1, 19-20 says that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him up from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. That same God, 
that, that we're acknowledging His greatness and power is the God that, that raised Jesus from the dead. And that is part of how we know His power. And so our question is, doesn't that give us a freedom to act? If we are, if we are following God, if we have an awe and reverence, if we have sought His will, if we have sought His guidance, and if we're submitted to that, then we have a freedom to act because He is sovereign. And He will accomplish His purposes. And if we have followed a way that aren't His purposes, He is perfectly capable of directing us a different way if we are willing. There's freedom in that. I don't have to worry about, oh no, what if I mess up God's plans? You won't. The question is, am I willing to be led by God? Am I seeking Him? Am I asking that question? And then I follow what He puts on my heart and let Him direct and guide. Dale Ralph Davis said this about being confident in His greatness and power. The rescue at the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan, and the death and resurrection of Christ are explosions of God's power that are meant to color the whole horizon of the believer's life in order to assure us that the God who so mightily handles great emergencies is surely adequate for the smaller crises and anxieties that beset us. There's an assurance and a confidence in God's greatness and power. And so we're to be prepared and then we're to be confident that God is able. And finally, the last section, the crossing. Be willing to step out in faith even when you don't understand God's ways. Be willing to step out in faith even when you don't understand God's ways. This is a trusting obedience. And we see obedience here. Let's start reading at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents, the NIV I think says broke camp, to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea, the sea of Araba, sorry, Arabah, the salt sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. It's the culmination of the chapter. We see an obedience, but more than that, we see God's work. His work at the worst time. Why didn't He wait a couple months until the Jordan was a little bit smaller, back to its normal size? Why didn't He lead them to a better place to cross? But he said, this is where I want you to cross. And I want you to step out in faith. Impossible situations remind us that it is God at work and not us. And we're to depend on Him and not self. Our inability yields and highlights His ability. Our inability highlights His ability. 
And it says that God, all the way from Adam, about 18 miles north of Jericho, stopped the water all the way to the Dead Sea. And they were to follow God's leading. And I can just imagine what those priests are thinking as they step in. One cartoonist wrote this as he depicts the priests with the ark approaching the Jordan River. And one priest turns to another and says, did you ever stop to think of how silly we're going to look if Joshua is wrong? He's going to be standing in the water there. But what a, just think about that. They had to believe God. They had to believe Joshua and commit to obedience. There's something different about saying I believe in God and actually stepping into the water. Isn't there? And God said, step into the water. In fact, the miracle didn't happen until they did. Until they exercised faith in an almighty God. That's one of the lessons that we can learn out of this. God often wants us to step into the water in faith before we see Him act. And that's hard. Why it's called faith. But if we've prepared, if if we are acknowledging God as holy, if we've consecrated ourselves, if we're seeking to follow and to look where He's leading, we can step out in faith and we can step into the water. Warren Wearsby says, unless we are willing to step out by faith and obey His Word, God can never open the way for us. I have found in my experience that God rarely opens all the doors for me to see the end product. He rarely gives me a road map that, that I can say, okay, now I can see if I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. He usually opens one door at a time, doesn't he? And we have to step into that room, and then we look for the next door. And he leads us to the next door, and we open that door. And He's teaching us dependence on Him. He's teaching us trust in Him. And that is so hard. I can remember when struggling with, has God called me to ministry? And struggling with, is this what I should do? Should I give up the the business world? Should I give up the computer world? And become a pastor? That that was for me a a pretty huge step of faith. And I remember that, that Susie and I had decided, you know what? When we have it all mapped out and I know it will all work, we'll do it. I like things like that. Neat, in a row, I can understand. And God systematically, and you've heard the story before, God systematically took away all of our plans and said, okay, now that you don't know how it's going to work, step out. And that was one of the scariest things we've ever done. Because we had no idea how it would work. We had no idea how it would work at Village where there wasn't enough money at the time for another pastor. And God, through each little step of obedience, directed and did some incredible things. And that's the story of Joshua. This isn't a story about Joshua's power. It's a story about Joshua saying, okay, God, I'm going to send the ark, just like you said. Okay, God, They're going to step in the water just like you said. And God directing from there.
God often wants us to step into the water in faith before we see Him act. And the last lesson there, God always has reasons for taking us through the deep section of water. God always has reasons for taking us through the deep water. You ever been to a situation and you're like, God, I don't see why I'm here. You could have done this differently. And we find ourselves, it's easy to get bitter at God for our circumstances, for where we're at in life. But God always has reasons. His plans are always higher than ours. And in this case, it was to show the people that God was leading through Joshua. It was to show His greatness and His wonders. But I think of that. Paul had this down. Man, I appreciate his ministry. In Philippians 1.14, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So instead of getting bitter about his imprisonment, he's in jail writing this, and he says, The brothers became confident in the Lord because I'm imprisoned and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And he realized, I'm going through deep water, but God is using it to accomplish His purposes. Paul again wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.4 about God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. And we see there Paul saying when we go through things, God is able to show Himself to us so we can help others. God sometimes takes us through the deep water to accomplish a purpose much greater than ours. Look for it. Follow His lead. Step into the water. The question that I just want to end with as we close, what does God want you to do for Him this week? Don't answer that now. I want you just to start asking that question and develop an awe and reverence for God and ask, what does He want me to do? And that's the first step to understanding His leading. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, You are a God of wonders, a God of might, a God of power who still wants to work through Your people to accomplish Your purposes. Lord, help us to learn how to follow Your leading. Help us to learn how to see it. Lord, that is so hard. Give us the faith that we need to step out and do it. Even if we don't know how it will turn out. May we be a people that are tools in your hand that you can show your wonders through. In Jesus' name.